house of the Lord today. I, I don't know who Pastor introduced. I'm, I feel like the old guy that was uh, introduced is making a million dollars in oil uh, in Oklahoma. And he got up and he said, hey, y'all, said, I'm telling you, said, uh, it wasn't in Oklahoma, said, it was in Alabama. And said it wasn't oil, it was potatoes, and it wasn't a million dollars, it was $100,000. And I didn't make it, I lost it. But anyway, I'm glad to be here this morning. But it is great to, to be here. When I see a situation like this, as I pulled on the grounds, the fog was so heavy this morning, I could hardly drive over 30 miles an hour. And I pulled in the parking lot, and there was, I don't know, 15 or so people out there greeting. I thought somebody has got the connection that understands this is about Jesus Christ and about serving him. And obviously, I never dreamed at 9 o'clock in the morning, this many people, I turned to the pastor, I said, is this your largest service? He says, not really. He said, we'll have another a group like this at, at 1030, which is an incredible opportunity. And this church truly is a lighthouse. It is a, it is a hospital for those who are, who are injured by wounds and battles of life, and it is a haven for those who are trying to find rest. And I'll tell you this, I realize that there are a lot of people and it takes a team to have a church like this, but what I've learned is nothing, everything rises and falls on its leadership. And I believe that you have a team here in Pastor Sainz and First Lady Kelly that is leading this to a whole new dimension, and God is up to something great. Don't you love and appreciate them today? Amen. I mean, anybody that jumps out of a plane and still preaches on Sunday, he's got to live pretty close to the Lord. I mean, you know, he's flying high anyway. But it's great to be here. I won't take a lot of time. I know that we're under uh, some time constraints because there'll be another group of people trying to get in here. But uh, I just want to say it is an opportunity great to be here today. And I want to tell you a little bit about um, uh, what we do in youth and discipleship. They've got several slides here, and if I can get this to work for me. Bottom line is I want to say a huge thank you. If you'll help me back there, I think my batteries are dead. Um, Say a huge thank you to this church and every church. Pastor told you that I grew up right here in South Georgia. My dad was a pastor. But our family did not grow up in the church. My dad was one to the Lord in Thomasville, Georgia. After getting out of the Air Force, they moved back to Thomasville. My mother's from Moultrie. My dad was, uh, was pretty rough. And uh, there was a guy at work at the Volkswagen place that kept on at him about going to church. That man died just a few weeks ago, and dad helped to preach his funeral. But he said, Charles, I want you to go to church. And he says, no, I'm not going to try it. I've heard about you people down at the Church of God. But he went to a men's fellowship, a fish fry. And so he come home and told mom, he said, not all them people's crazy. So there's some of them that's got some sense. And so he, because Edward was such a good guy, he agreed to go to church on Saturday night at a revival. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. He got up to go out. He couldn't go out. So he came down, gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And our family was anchored in, in Christendom and in the church of God. My mother said, it's got to work on that guy three months before I'll even come try it. So she didn't come to church for three months. Daddy had to live it out, change his walk, quit drinking, all that kind of stuff. And three months later, my mother came and walked down the aisle of the Thomasville Church of God. And that's how we got here. So I've told the Council of 18, I've told the people that I serve in Cleveland, that I am internally grateful for the local churches because ever since I was about five or six years old, every pair of shoes I've walked in, every piece of clothes I've put on, every bite of food has come because of the faithful giving of people just like you who's paid their tithes and offerings and supported me 
you have helped to, to get me to here today. And I want to thank all of you. And as you give your tithes and offerings, it helps us reach around the world. And I'm eternally grateful for the opportunity that I have to serve this church. In our department, there's over 30 different ministries that we, we have across the board. Some of those that I'll highlight today is things like uh, Winterfest. We just celebrated 35 years of Winterfest. It's not the Church of God's, but God gave it to us as a stu to be stewards. We have literally seen hundreds of thousands of lives changed on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday across the world. This coming year, we have an incredible lineup at Smoky Mountain. You got to John Gray, you ever heard of him? Uh, Jim Rayley, Elevation Worship, Planet Shakers, Eddie James. It's going to be an incredible time. I met Blake outside this morning, and I forgot to tell him, but I'm going to say it right now publicly so you can keep me accountable. For anybody that comes to Winterfest in this church, I'm going to give them reserved seating absolutely free. That's $35 a piece. I don't care if it's 200 people. I'm going to give that to them so they have to wait in line. They can come straight in because I believe in what God is doing in a generation, and Winterfest is a huge part of that. We started KidFest a few uh, years after that. Uh, last year, over 8,000 young kids, like you saw this morning, worship in four different locations. What I'm glad to tell you is over 500 of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You tell me about a generation saying no, let them say yes to, to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, and their walk and their life will change. For many, many years, we have been a part of what's called YWA, helping to take the gospel around the world. For a generation that is, can be so me generation, to think outside of the walls of their church. Over these last years, 55 years, there's been 59 projects and over $36 million has been raised for mission by young people. Can you give God praise for the hard work? This past year, we had a project down in Cota, Colombia, right outside of Bogota, and they said, well, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to go well, it's tough, so everybody's heard about the drug trafficking. And I tell you that because of the faithfulness of God and people in the church of God, over $1 million came in for Code of Columbia. And notice this, 16 South Georgia churches were in the top 100. Did you hear that? South Georgia is rocking YWA and World Missions. We're going this next year to Europe. You say, why Europe? That's where the gospel came to America from. That's where the revival in Wales years ago spread the gospel across the world. But it is a dark place now. Light cities of Paris and Amsterdam. We have orphanages in the Ukraine that you cannot even imagine that kids, their parents are dying from drug abuse and from the wars that are taking place. We're going to help there and also at ETS. So begin to pray with us that God would help us to be able to spread the light of Jesus Christ across the whole place of Europe. And then I want to talk to you about youth camp. You guys know about it in South Georgia. We just got all of our stats together recently and shared this with our board. You see, in the summer, we have a place over in Tifton, and they're all across the uh, United States where young kids spend a week of their time. And I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest things you can invest in uh, for that. I just uh, saw attendance is 26,310. Over 3,000 young people said yes to Jesus Christ in youth camps across America. But more importantly, 4,694 received the baptism of the Holy Ghost while there. And what's amazing about this is I travel globally. That's just inside the United States. I went to Dominican Republic a few weeks ago. They have a camp there with 8,000 students in the summer on their property. I was down in Argentina just a, just a few days ago, and they were reporting there. They have over 20,000 students involved in camps across that, that land. No telling what God is up to something. Truly, we're living in the passage of Joel 2.28. We're living in an end-time revival, and I'm glad that God has let us be a part of that, and I'm believing this local church is leading that in this community going forward. Amen? 
And then there's one more shot there I want to give you is our family. My wife, Janet, I told you, she's from Sand Mountain, Alabama. They, somebody told me recently to point her out. She's the one out there because they all look young. I walked in New York Airport here while back, and a guy had my daughter, and he said, uh, Sir, you and your two daughters? And I said, Yeah, right. But uh, my wife, Janet, our daughter, Brittany, is 28. I told her she could date when she's 30. She's got two years. So I'm taking 1099s and W-2 and financial plans. Bruce, our son, on the end there, I used to go around saying, if you can feed him, you can have him. But that girl right there got to feed him about a year and a half ago. They got married. No grandkids. I got a grand dog. But y'all pray, church, because I'm wanting them so bad. Pastor Mike's got eight. That ain't even fair. How can you have eight? He's not even over 30 years old. How is that even possible? Man. But please, I put this up there because while we're traveling globally, it would be, it would be of, of naught. It would mean nothing that if hundreds and thousands of kids were saved and touched and their lives changed, if those kids right there end up in hell. And I want you to pray for us that as we travel that God will take care of them. They're in ministry. Brittany is a special ed uh, middle school teacher. Bruce started a media company. does all of our media for Winterfest and department, other local churches and things. Kaylee, actually, his wife is my assistant. I didn't plan that. It was already there when I got elected. And, Pastor, I'm still trying to find the person that hotwired that computer system that took me to Cleveland instead of being South Georgia. So uh, we hadn't found them yet. But certainly keep us in your prayers and ask God to help us as we continue on. Would you stand this morning? Let's look into the scriptures together. I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And it says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was what, church? Knit. It was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own what? His own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Tell your neighbor that's really important. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped him of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and to his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself how? Oh, that we would have a generation of young men and women and moms and dads who will go out of this place today and behave themselves. All the parents said amen. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. I want to talk for just a moment about a family tradition, a family tradition. Would you be so kind to stretch your hand toward me and ask the Father to anoint me now to speak those things he's placed into my heart. God, I love you today, and I thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your strength, and power. You're an incredible God. I thank you, Lord, for precious people that have come out this morning, Lord, and they have sung songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We've given in tithes and offerings. But it comes now, Lord, time for the breaking of the bread and for, for your word to go forth. And I understand that, God, I'm nothing more than a piece of clay, just a piece of dirt. But, Lord, if you'll anoint me and use me over the next few moments, that I might speak forth things that would, that would illuminate your word in our hearts and let it not just go into our ears, but let it sink down into our heart and be evidenced in our hands it would not just be hearers of your word but would be doers of your word father I pray right now you begin to meet in every need and every life in this place today and I give you praise and glory and honor in Christ's name and everybody said Amen. turn your neighbor and say hey are you in the family and you might be seated now we find very unique passages of scripture 
And, you know, I don't understand why in Scripture that Naaman had to go dip seven times, but was he cleansed? Yes. I don't understand why they had to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times on the seventh day, but did the walls fall? Absolutely. Well, here we find a very unique story of two young teenage boys standing in what would be the White House of the day, going through the process of a, what they call a blood covenant. So how could this story of two boys going through this process have any relevance to you and I today? How could it speak to where we are today? You see, if you know about this covenant, the first thing that had to happen, the two individuals who were going to enter this had to sit down and talk about what this covenant would mean. Now, I don't know if it was Waffle House, I don't know if it was a steakhouse, but they had met somewhere and they had talked about what this covenant was going to be to both of them. But after they had decided that, then there was a ceremony, and that's where we picked up Scripture. They're actually going through the ceremony and they're exchanging things, and we'll come back to that in a second. But then they do something very permanent is they went through the process of, of actually becoming blood brothers. They would take a very sharp knife, and they would, they would cut a place in the wrist of each one of the people, and they would put their wrists together, and then they would bind those wrists together for up to an hour. In that process, they were trying to get the blood from the one to be absorbed into the wound of the other and vice versa. Matter of fact, once you went through with this covenant, it was irreversible. If you ever became a blood brother with someone, you could never take it back uh, down the road that because you could never go in and extract the particles of DNA out of the blood system and take it back and say, I don't want to be your blood brother. So it was for life. It was for real. And we see that that's happening in this, in this ceremony. Now, because of this ceremony, there were, there were several things that were taking place. And can I just say to you, you say, how does it make sense that Jonathan, the king's son, is standing here basically giving away his bloodline to this boy David? You see, Jonathan is the king's son. He represents everything that everybody wanted to be like. He had every toy. He had every possible. If it was a new uh, jet ski or four-wheeler or shotgun or uh, uh, Xbox game, he had it. But see, David came from a whole different part of life. The Bible tells us that he was the least of his family, and all of his brothers had other places on the farm, but, but uh, David had to watch the sheep. As a matter of fact, we'll find out that later on, when it came time to nominate somebody in this family for the kingship, that Jesse, David's father, didn't even recommend him, didn't even call his name. But David is standing there going through this process. And the first thing that we see taking place here is that Jonathan takes off his robe and he places it around David. Now think about this just for a moment. That David, who grew up with seven brothers, all he had ever known was hand-me-downs. You see, this generation now don't know anything about that. But I used to wear them. Matter of fact, when my cousin Ward wore out clothes, I got them because he was older than me. And a lot of times they had patches and stuff. Here a while back, my son came in, and he had a pair of jeans out of his bag like he bought them, and they was ripped. I said, son, what happened to your jeans? He said, oh, no, Daddy, I bought them that way. I said, you bought them ripped? Oh, yeah. He said, matter of fact, I had to pay more money. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. You go take them back to the store, get you some good jeans. I'll rip them for nothing, okay? Because when I was growing up, we didn't want no rips in our clothes. But nowadays, they want to rip and tear them all up here. Come on, what's wrong with the generation, church? I'm having a little fun. But all David had ever known was these hand-me-downs. But when he puts this robe around him, he thinks, my goodness, 
never had anything like this before. I mean, it smelled new. It was made of the finest wools and linens of the day. It had been handcrafted for the king's son, Jonathan. And David's thinking, wow. Can I tell you the same thing happened when Jesus Christ came down to earth and he shed his blood that we might have life and more abundantly. And he says that he clothes us in his righteousness, that he puts around us a robe and he puts a ring on our hands and he says you are mine and you are not your own and you are royalty beyond your own means. What it says to us is regardless of what our past was like, that when Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords come, he wrapped us in his righteousness. He covered up all that old bad stuff that we had lived through before we ever met Jesus. Jesus Christ. If you've met him, give him praise in the house today. And what we also know in this sharing of possessions is that according to the contract and this, and this whole covenant is that Jonathan took off his robe, but David has to take off his robe and give it to Jonathan. Now, again, this robe is tattered, it's passed down, it's been out watching the sheep, it's probably torn, it probably smells bad, and Jonathan has to put it on himself. Just like Jesus, when we come to him, all we had to give him was our filthy past and our filthy rags. And he clothed himself in our, in our degradation and our sins. And he walks up Calvary's hill and he says, I know it smells bad. I know what you've done in the past, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to take it all the way to Calvary and I'm going to bleed and die that you might have a life. That's what Jesus did for you and I. And because you said yes to him, we've exchanged possessions. That's why. Years ago, I lived in Arkansas. He told you about that. And I thought, man, I read this scripture one day, and I said, man, pastor, if I could just run down Uncle Sam Walton. It was rumored that he drove an old pickup truck, and he would just stop in the Walmarts out there and check in on them. If I could have just got five minutes, a butcher knife, and some duct tape, man, my life would be different today. Some of y'all got that. If I could have just got five minutes and got that duct tape thing, I just read where all five of his kids are billionaires. Now think about that. Man, I could go into Walmart, especially at Christmas time when them lines are long, go by the service counter and say, excuse me, man, all this stuff here, just build that to my brother Sam. I got to go. <laughs> y'all know where the service counter is, right? Where you take all that stuff out, you won't get cash. Yeah, y'all been there. I can tell some of y'all real quiet. I'm preaching on somebody. Because everything that was his would become mine and all of my debts would have become his. But can I tell you this morning, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you're in blood covenant with somebody worth a lot more money than Sam Walton will ever think about. That he owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills that the cows walk on and the water that the cows drink. He owns it all, church. Tell your neighbor, my father owns it all. Amen. Not only a sharing of possessions, but there was a sharing of power. We see that Jonathan gives to David his sword. Not just any sword, but a handcrafted sword for the king's son. And David, he looks at that and thinking, man, tomorrow when I go back to school, I don't have to, to put up with the bullies. I don't have to use the sword. I just got to show the sword. Because on that sword was the insignia or the sign of the household of Saul. And when they saw that sign, they understood that all the armies and all the power of the household of Saul was behind that insignia. Hear me, church, that when you say yes to Jesus Christ, that he's given us a sword sharper than any two-edged sword, that Jesus himself walked out in front of the devil and said, it is written. He says, you're not operating your own power, but I've given you a new power. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. You don't have to walk in your own strength. You don't fight your own battle. Psalms tells us the battle is the Lord's. Tell your neighbor the battle is God's. Last thing, I got to hurry. 
It was a sharing of personhood. You see, after this covenant was over, it says that Saul would not let David go back where? I had you to say it. Home, his father's house. Why? You see, now this boy had royal blood in his veins, and he said, I can't let you go back there. There was a name change. That before this day, he, he was David of the household of Jesse. Now, while that was cool and that was all right, after this covenant went through, it became David of the household of Jesse, son of King Saul. Okay? Before I came to Jesus Christ, my name was David Carlton Blair of the household of Charles and Joanne. But the day I knelt in an altar, that went away and it says, you're still of the household of Charles and Joanne, but now I'm son of Jehovah God Almighty. Can I tell you, that means a whole lot different than what just being of Charles and Joanne, that I am rich, I've exchanged power, and more importantly, that I have a new name and there's a new name written down in glory. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are in a new family. If you're in a family, just give God a shout out this morning. Amen. I got to hurry. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David's king. How can David be king? Well, let me tell you two reasons. One, that thing I told you about when Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king, and, and, and Jesse lined up all his kingly looking brothers <laughs> Eliab, Abinadab, and all those boys who looked like a king and smelt like a king and been through basic training and they had all the credentials. And God looks through them and he says, and, and, and he has to ask him, says, Jesse, is this all your boys? Now, church, can I just say something right here? If my daddy doesn't call my name and put me on the ballot to be president or king, but he puts all my brother, me and daddy's going to have a talk. You understand that? So the story goes, he has to send one of those kingly-looking brothers out to the, to the field to watch the sheep while this ruddy boy named David comes in the house, and my version of that would be that when he got in the house, the, the screen door had not closed in the kitchen till God said, that's him. And he was anointed from the top of his head to the soles of his feet with oil. He was anointed as king that day, so he was anointed by God. But the second thing is he had to be in the bloodline. He got in the bloodline in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, when he went through this ridiculous ceremony with the king's son, Jonathan. So now David is king. He's at supper one night. He asks a very strange question. He says, is there any in the house of Saul still alive? They said, king, listen. You are tearing up territory. You are enhancing the kingdom. You are 98% in the polls right now. Don't go there. You see, because when a king went out of power, everybody who was not in the immediate family of the current king, they were killed. So it was good to be in the family if your family was in the kingship, but if not, it was a bad thing. And so finally, after some time, one of the guys spoke up and says, King, there, there is one, but it's the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, and it's named for Fibosheth. But King, he's not going to give you any trouble. Matter of fact, the boy, let me tell you, King, that when the news came that Saul was dead and Jonathan was dead, the lady who was taking care of him began to flee into the valley. In the process of running away, she tripped and she dropped this boy. And because he was dropped, he's been crippled ever since. Not going to cause you any trouble. Just don't go there. He said, go get him and bring him to me. It's amazing, Pastor. In that day without Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snap something, uh, text message, whatever, that bad news still travels faster than good news. By the time that the guys got there to pick him up down in Lodabar, this boy already knew it. 
And so he falls on the ground. He says, hey, guys, don't do this. Don't take me to the king. You know what he's going to do. He's going to slay me right there in front of all those people and show how powerful he is and how nothing I am. And he begged for his life. They take him to the king. They bring him in before the king, and he, they, 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 they put him down in front of him. In the same story, he begins to beg, oh, king, live forever. I know I'm nothing but an old, sorry, low-down, dead dog. I have, I have nothing I could do for you. But listen, king, if you just won't kill me, let me live. Let me live where I live. I live in Lodabar, which means desolation, dryness, uh, de- depression, and despair. I'm living in Lodabar. Just let me get by, leading out of, the, out of the garbage dumps. And because I'm crippled, I have to crawl out there, and everybody's already got the good leftovers, and I get the scraps. He said, stand him up so I can look him eyeball to eyeball. He said, son, let me tell you a story of 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. When my own daddy wouldn't nominate me for this job, when I was a nobody from nowhere, when nobody knew my name, your father Jonathan saw something inside of me, and he brought me to, you see that blood on the floor right there? That's mine and your daddy's blood, where we cut ourselves, and we went through this this covenant relationship. And he says, because of that, I stand here as king now. He said, that also tells me that if Jonathan is your daddy, that you also have my DNA inside of your veins. He said, I'll not have one of my sons living in Lodabar. I'll not have one of mine eating out of the trash heaps and the garbage dumps. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He says, while you were yet coming, he said, I had a room prepared in the palace, a handicapped room just for you. And said, look over there at that table. There's a special place where you can just pull that chair right up on the table and look on the table. And you ever seen what a king ate? I told the people in France a few few weeks ago, I said, folks, all y'all over here are skinny people. I ain't seen a fat person in in, in nowhere in France. They walk everywhere for one thing. I said, y'all look at me and y'all call me fat, but you don't understand. Where I come from down in South Georgia, this is big bone. Okay? And when I was a small child, I was attached to a machine that keep me alive. It's called a refrigerator, and I'm still hooked up now. (laughs) Have you ever seen what a king ate? Man, it was Black-eyed peas and cornbread and steak and tater and sweet tea and banana pudding and, and peach cobbler with a la mode on that ice cream on top. Anything you can imagine. And they pushed this old boy up that table saying, oh, my goodness. I've been eating out of the garbage dumps. And now look at this. It's the same thing that happens when you come to Jesus Christ. You no longer have to live in despair and dryness and depression and, 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 and your past. But he says, I've made a place for you. And I'll tell you right now, not too long from now, we're going to that place, and it's called heaven. And they just paved the streets with purest gold. They make the walls out of jasper, and the gates are made of purest pearl. I'm talking about a real place. I'm talking about heaven. And we're going there because we're in the family. Would you stand today? A few years ago, we were combating the Ebola outbreak in Africa and Samaritan's Purse, one of the greatest organizations. We partnered with them all over the world, Franklin Graham. They had a series of doctors there working to try to help people live and survive. One of those doctors, Dr. Kent Brantley, while he was working and trying to help, contracted the virus. They flew him immediately back to Atlanta, Georgia, put him in the hospital, began to administer antibiotics and different serums. And after several days, and even thinking he wouldn't live, he's totally, completely healed. 
And so there were other people working there that they sent to Houston and Dallas and Los Angeles, dispatching the places, and they were dying. And so they went in to Dr. Kent Brantley, and they started to extract blood out of his veins. And they took it to those other centers across America, and they injected it into those patients. And one by one, they began to live. Why? Because been, they had been injected with the blood of an overcomer. Can I tell you this morning that we have been injected. We have access to the ultimate overcomer. And his name is Jesus. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He is the, he's the way when there is no way. His name is Jehovah God Almighty. And can I just say to you this morning, whatever you might have need of, I can't help you. I can't do one thing. With you. I can pray for you, but I can't change anything in your life. But God can do it all. If you have a need this morning, I want us to just close in prayer. I want you to come and let us just pray together. Whatever it might be, maybe it's a lost loved one. Maybe it's a sickness in your body. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe your family, you need a miracle. I don't, I don't care. Just move very quickly and come and stand. We're going to pray a prayer of faith. You see, here's the thing about it. That the Bible tells me that if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, and I've said yes to Jesus Christ, we said that we have the same Father, and we're going to the same place, and you're my brother, and I'm to be my brother and sister's keeper. Now, let me say this. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, that's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. Greater than your mated life, greater than your job choice. The decision to serve and live for Him is the greatest decision. And I challenge you this morning that you can walk down here or right at your seat. You can pray the sinner's prayer asking just simple forgiveness. And He said to be faithful and good just to forgive you of your sins. Father, I pray right now in the stillness and quietness of this moment, if there be any needs in this house today whatsoever, that we are your people, that we have been adopted and bought by your blood. And I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, just to begin to move across this congregation. Every need, every circumstance, every life. Maybe somebody's here today, God, and Lord, they need a healing in their body. The doctor has said, there's nothing we can do. But Lord, all you have to do is simply speak it like you did the winds and the waves, and it has to be in your command. Today, Lord, there may be families who need a miracle, maybe in their finances, maybe on their job. I don't know, Lord. Somebody may be here today, Lord, don't know you as the Lord and Savior, and I pray that right now they would just simply step out of their seats and walk down and say, God, I choose you. I choose you. I, I want to be a part of the family. That they would receive it right now in the name of Jesus. Would you just join hands with somebody around you? Let's pray one for another. I feel so strongly that we do that right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray as we join hands today, that, Lord, your grace, your mercy, your spirit, and your power move across this place. God, let nobody leave here this morning without being touched by your spirit and your power and by your anointing. Do all manner of miracles that, God, we look forward in the future to hearing the things that you're doing right now while the waters are troubled. God, I pray for your word to go forth. I pray for your power to be revealed. And I pray for miracles to take place, Lord. Right now, I call it done over sickness, Lord, over finances, over family, over relationships. God, I pray victory right now. In the name of Jesus, I give you glory and honor and praise. Now, can we just give him praise in advance, church, for what he's doing today? Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor.